Hello and oh, jeez, was <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to repeat. <laughs> okay, we've got our first outtake anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Banish to the Pen podcast. I am Brandon Lee from Chicago, Illinois, and I write and edit for Banish to the Pen. Today, I'm joined by a couple of website contributors. First up is returning guest from North Wales. It's Darius Austin. Hello, Darius. Hi, Brendan. How are you? Oh, not bad. Not bad. What what time of day is it over in your part of the world? Uh, it's half past five. So it's, uh, yeah, just coming towards the end of the day, although it still stays light until about 10 o'clock at the moment here. Um, so plenty of evening. 10 p.m.? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, about that. Jeez. That, that, would, uh, that would be nice. That would be nice. Um, I also want to welcome to the podcast for the first time coming at us from New Jersey. It's Dan Epstein. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing well. How are you doing, guys? Not bad. Dan, you're, you're a first-timer, and uh, I wanted to give you a minute to introduce yourself. Give us the basics. Okay, so my name is Daniel R. Epstein. I am from New Jersey. Uh, I'm a third-grade special education teacher and a labor activist. I am a Yankees fan, third generation, and I married a Cardinals fan, so we have two kids, and they're being brought up with the two most obnoxious baseball teams. So they're probably going to grow up rooting for rain delays and work stoppages and things like that. Um, I began writing for Banish to the Pen just because I noticed a few months ago that Tyler Saladino had an outfield assist, and he's not an outfielder, and that was the kind of thing that I find interesting. So I wrote about it, and uh, Banish to the Pen published it, so I just kept on going. And, uh, and here we are on a podcast. You know that's that's pretty that's pretty cool, and uh, I want to go back to um, the uh, raising your kids in the in the two most obnoxious fandoms. Um, how how has that been um, in terms of like are do you notice that they have an arrogance about baseball, or do they like not even notice that? these are the two winningest franchises? Uh, they definitely don't notice. They're also pretty young. They're six and two, but uh, I do Oh, so they, haven't even, so they haven't even been alive for... Uh, well, I guess one of them was alive for a Cardinals. Yeah, they missed most of the good stuff, but hopefully there's good stuff ahead. Um, my, my oldest is six, and when he was three, we were watching a Yankees-Red Sox game, and I was explaining to him that we like the Yankees and we don't like the Red Sox. So being a brat, he goes, well, I like the Red Sox. So now I'm, I'm panicking internally because this can't happen. My, my son cannot be a Red Sox fan. So I'm freaking out, uh, but I stayed outwardly calm. This is like the best parenting I've ever done, by the way. I stay calm. And I said, if you want to be a Red Sox fan, that's fine. But Yankees fans are going for ice cream. So that's it. <laughs> and uh, he's been a Yankees fan ever since. Wow. Bribery. That's the way to do it. Yeah, that's how we do it. That's how Yankees fans uh, like myself get recruited. Um, that's how we, we bring ourselves into the fold is just with sheer bribery. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Welcome to the fold. And uh, it's great to have you here. Um this is, uh, let's see, we're recording this on on Sunday, July 23rd. Um, we're coming up on the trade deadline, uh, but there were also some interesting 
there were some interesting uh, articles and things online and things about baseball this week. So I do want to throw it around and see if anyone has any banter topics. Yeah, well, I've been thinking about the uh, All-Star game a bit over the last couple of weeks and people saying it's not very interesting and thinking about weird ways to make it more interesting. And uh, my my idea is actually something I've sort of stolen a bit from cricket, but uh, you guys probably won't know this. In uh, the shorter versions of cricket, um, they actually have restrictions on where you can put your fielders um, so that you can't play too defensively to try and restrict runs in, in certain situations. Um, so I won't bore you with the details, but basically the idea is you can't just put all your guys on the boundary in the outfield, as you would say in baseball, to, to stop uh, players hitting fours and, and sixes. So I wondered whether maybe a way to jazz up the All-Star game would be to have like different fielding restrictions for every inning. So like you have an inning where you can only have two outfielders or yeah, people have to play a five-man infield for the first three innings, or maybe they even do it like roulette style, and every inning is different, and you kind of have to to go by what uh, flashes up on the scoreboard, and you don't know what it's going to be in advance. So that was my wacky idea for jazzing up the All-Star game. I don't know if that's actually fun, but I think it would be quite fun. I I would enjoy seeing that, and actually, I think that um, now, now how exactly would that be specified? I, I would like to see that where the opposing manager gets to dictate which of the restrictions the team has to deal with. And like they have to submit these in advance or something like that. So you can't even choose your restrictions. The, the opposing manager has to choose them for you. Yeah, that would be fun. I quite like that. And uh, you could get really uh, creative. And I suppose they'd probably get progressively meaner if the one manager took it too far, then the other one would subsequently have to kind of get more extreme and Maybe you can make, um, you know, every, like eight-man infields and all sorts. I think it would be good. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of this, Darius. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. And I think what I, I, I think the way I'm leaning with the All-Star Game is that I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm a little over watching baseball players do what they're good at. And I want them to be thrown into these weird situations where they wouldn't, where they have no experience. And actually, I would be super interested in a scenario where you do have to play five infielders and they also all have to be left-handed fielders. Um, <laughs> and the and your two outfielders have to be infielders. And uh, obviously, you couldn't really play around with pitchers and catchers because those are uh the positions most prone to injury but i think that you know having these scenarios where you play around with with your defense is uh, i don't know i think it would be pretty entertaining and we'll also obviously be putting a pit in the outfield um we'll be putting a tree in between the home plate and the pitcher's mound i, I think that we would be kicked out of the ew facebook group if we don't bring up those things but um we of course we mess with like the field of play a little bit you know we can bring Tal's hill back except not put it in dead center field we can put it between shortstop and the third base um <laughs> there, there's all kinds and what what if what if we kind of had it set up like a golf course um <laughs> where the grasses the grasses of varying heights in the outfield there's a sand trap there's a little lake uh, and there's a hill. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're a major league groundskeeper and you can't accomplish these things, then 
what, what are you doing there? I mean, I, th I think that you should be able to handle that if you're a major league groundskeeper and be able to get the field ready. Um, it, it, it just should be part of the standard interview process as far as I'm concerned. They must get bored with doing the same field over and over again. They'd probably really love to do something creative, I reckon. I think they do. You know, for those, for those, for like the special occasion days, don't they have, don't they kind of cut something uh, unique into the field? Like, don't, like, don't the Red Sox, um, like, they'll, they'll cut the team's logo into the outfield or something like that? Yeah, I think a lot of teams do that. They'll they'll put the logo into the outfield or sometimes behind home plate or something like that. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I wonder, um, now that you bring it up, like that would think you would think that, that would be a sponsorship opportunity. I mean, you would think a team could make an easy, you know, half million dollars by selling the rights to getting your company's logo carved into the outfield. The fans would hate it and it would be uh like a miserable disaster on you know, the baseball talk shows and everything, but that's never really stopped teams from trying to do everything they can to make money before. So uh, I don't understand why they don't sell advertising rights literally to the outfield. Yeah, they do this in, in rugby in particular uh, in the UK, well, all over the world. Well, they play rugby, but they have these kind of things <laughs> painted on the field that look like they're signs standing up, basically. It's kind of hard to describe, but the, the perspective that they create on them. So when they've got the camera angle from the sideline, it looks like they've almost placed a large sign on the field when actually it's painted onto the grass. So, yeah, it, it does happen. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised now that you bring it up that it doesn't happen in baseball. You know, actually, soccer, I think, would be the place where it makes most sense because there's no break. Like you're just playing for 45 minutes and they can't go to commercial. So I would think that they would be trying to exhaust an opportunity like that for advertise. But um, but that's not baseball at all, so I don't know why I'm bringing that up. Uh, anyway, move on. I'm, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I want the the thing that I saw that was interesting this week is 538's analysis on the uh, basically the baseball team census that they did, and uh, I want I want your take, Dan. I want your take about the Yankees being the most hated team in every single region. How, how does this make you feel? Well, uh, I'm obviously quite proud. Um, this one thing that you want to aspire to is to bribe your children into being hated in every region of the United States for their fan base. So this is a major accomplishment for me as a father. Um, what I, what I, found most interesting about this survey was the rated by percentages. Uh, the Yankees were rated by 92% of the people that took the study, which was the most. And, you know, I think the most, the thing that teams or anyone in anywhere, I guess, want to avoid the most is irrelevance. So I think the team that got the least rated by percentage was the Rockies. Which, yeah, the Rockies. I mean, they were, they were rated by only 55% of respondents. So 45% of America has no opinion whatsoever on the Rockies. Uh, there were a bunch of other teams that were close. You know, the Twins with 58% and the Blue Jays with 58%. Although I, I see, that. yeah, the A's, the A's, the Rays also yeah. low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Blue Jays, that's not really fair because they're not even in America. So if you took the survey in Canada... They're, they're Canada's team. 
Yeah. Yes, they are. They're the one and only right now. So I thought that was interesting because team like people I would imagine will be interested in a team if they like them, obviously, but also if they strongly dislike them. You know, I mean, people will turn on a team that they don't like just to root against them and root for whoever happens to be playing with them, which maybe that's how the Rockies got their 55%. Maybe, you know, they just play against teams that other teams don't like a lot. So I don't know. Um, but, I, like, I, I found that to be fascinating. I would be kind of worried if I, if my team scored in the 50s in this and want to try and do what I could to spruce up my marketing. Uh, Darius, I saw that the Giants were rated by a very nice 69% of respondents. Was there anything that you noticed about the survey uh, that surprised you at all? Yeah, that was very nice. Uh, I think, I mean, what it said to me was that Everybody feels confident having an opinion about the Yankees. Uh, people who don't know anything about baseball know who the Yankees are, I guess. And I know these were self-identified baseball fans, but then if there are teams where over 40% of participants didn't really feel confident having an opinion about them, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that really speaks to them being familiar with the entire league, whereas I think you could probably pull most random people off the streets Certainly in the US, maybe not here, but I think even here, people would probably have a, a pretty good idea of who the Yankees were, even if they couldn't name another baseball team. So I guess that just, yeah, means great news for the Yankees marketing department. I think uh, Harry Entham did mention in the piece the famous Orson Welles quote, uh, you know, uh, you know, the wor- uh, anything worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great for the Yankees. And uh, yeah, I guess if you are a in the, the Rockies uh, marketing department or something, you may be trying to think of ways that more people can become familiar with the team. Um, I guess they're a new team relative to the Yankees, but it's not that new. If you were a baseball fan, I would have thought you'd probably have an opinion about uh, the Rockies. But uh, yeah, I guess they didn't really go into how they identified these baseball fans. I think what we have to do is get um, Anish the Pen contributor and past podcast guest Mikey Poli on the Rockies booster uh circuit and just send him around the country preaching about the uh the colorado rockies and what's great about them and getting new fans the old-fashioned way really um <laughs> this will stop tour for the rockies yeah yeah exactly exactly uh mikey if you're listening out there make it happen make it happen uh the teams let's see here i see three teams with a with a 50% or above favorable rating. Uh, those would be the Cubs at 67%, the Red Sox at 56%, and the Cardinals at 50%. I don't think I see another team uh, above 50%. Is there anything about those, that trio of teams? Um, other than that, I guess they're the most popular non-Yankees teams nationwide, probably. I think that what's interesting to me is that the Cubs and Cardinals don't like each other. They're rivals, so... It's weird that they both are that they're two of the three highest favorable ratings. Um, is there? I wonder if there is some kind of like uh, trend of people who are Cubs and Cardinals fans, and if so, where are they and why? Because I don't think that people in the Cubs or Cardinals regions would approve of such a thing. Or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe that's where they are. Maybe, like, there's 
I, I don't know. I like I, to I'm, me, it seems weird. They're they're rivals, and people like both of them. Yeah, I guess I'm interested. I guess I'm interested in the 17 percent of uh, was that would that be uh, 70 percent? Yeah, the 17 percent of people who uh, are who find both the who have a favorable opinion of both the Cubs and the Cardinals. I suppose. Um, Is there a, a team age thing going on here? Uh, in that, you know, there's probably some people who are just familiar with these teams because they've been around forever and they're in relatively big markets for the most part, I guess. And I, get, I suppose the Cardinals have a wide range and Chicago's a big market. And obviously the Red Sox and Yankees have got fairly big markets and have been around for 100 plus years. Is that just what's happening here, that people know them because they've been around and they remember old-timey World Series and, you know, they've got some cultural uh, cachet yeah. with famous players that a lot of other teams don't have? Maybe, maybe. Uh, for the Cubs, I suspect there's some uh, there's some superstation hangover. Um, for the Cardinals, they're a very good team uh, and usually are, generationally speaking. But, I mean, you have... You do have teams like the Tigers at 38% favorable, White Sox at 43% favorable, Cincinnati 36% favorable. Those are, uh, and the Phillies at 33%. Like those are old timey teams who have been unable to gain the traction of uh, these three particular old timey teams. And then the Yankees are also an old timey team who uh, have who have it going both ways. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, um, I don't know, I think each one sort of like is its own combination of how long it's been around, how recently they've won, or at least done anything interesting at all, because the Royals are third in net favorability, uh, and they're, you know, I don't know if you can call them a modern team or an expansion team anymore. They've been around since 1969, but um that's that's as close as we get for baseball purposes because we haven't had expansion in a while. So I, I like it, maybe it's and also market size probably has something to do with it. Um, although Kansas City is a pretty small market, so who knows? Maybe they're just an outlier. Uh, and I don't know. There's a I, I suppose you could come up with a rationale for each of these different teams, um, but I don't know if there's some sort of trend line that you'd be able to put together on any one variable about that that would determine net favorability but if they did they would probably be looking at that very closely for the next time a team has to move or when they have to have expansion or something like that all right i want to move on to uh a post that went up uh, a couple days ago on Banished to the Pen by Darius Austin. Um, Darius, tell us a little bit about StatCast's sprint speed and whether it does tell us about base running. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, this was a bit of a rabbit hole that uh, started out with nothing to do with StatCast at all. I was kind of looking at a weird double steals uh, quirk on the BP stats pages which appears to suggest that nobody's been caught in a double steal for about 20 years I think that's just an error with how they scored them. <laughs> um, but I kind of had stolen bases on the mine so I, I was kind of went from there into looking at base running metrics and then I was kind of uh, called up the the new stat cast sprint speed leaderboard which has been available for about three weeks now I think um, and I kind of at the time had sort of looked at it and thought oh well you know this is like telling me everything that I already know but then when I was going down the 
the Fangraph's base running metric, it didn't actually seem to correlate all that well with speed. Although Billy Hamilton is the best still, uh, there were there were guys up there who, like uh, Zander Bogarts, who I don't think of as being a, a burning speedster, but he was rated very well on base running. So yeah, I kind of tried to to draw a, um, a correlation between the two and. There was some relationship, but not a particularly strong one. And I think that there is a lot that the stat car sprint speed doesn't tell us, um, particularly about um, how players round the bases. I think that's pretty important in, in terms of actually being able to, to do it quickly and efficiently. And, and sprint speed is just literally measuring their speed in their fastest one second window. So somebody like Malik Smith, who didn't rate particularly well in base running, can obviously uh, absolutely burn out there. But when it comes to making good decisions and, and rounding the bases in such a way and, and even getting good jumps for stolen bases, I don't think he's actually that good at those things yet. And maybe that will come with time because it's still extremely young. Um, but I thought it was uh, interesting to see that certainly uh, a lot of the players who, who do seem to have uh, a great deal of speed, actually, I think it, it helps you be at least a little bit above average. It's hard to not be at least slightly above average if you're very fast, but to be great, uh, it didn't have all that much to do with speed and, and instead I think instincts and technique was much more important. I think that's the kind of thing where youth is wasted on the young because you have uh, a lot of times you'll see uh, a player come up, you know, young player who's really fast and steals a lot of bases and they'll get to the majors and they'll be really fast but they'll also make bad mistakes on the base paths. They'll get picked off. Um, they'll get caught stealing a lot and have a really poor stolen base percentage and you'll say like hey well this person stole a lot of bases but they are just really not that good at this and they might end up having a poor um a bsr so and i think that when you have major league experience for a while then you've learned pitchers the pitchers specifically and which what you can expect to look for for their moves that show whether they're going to home going to first um you know, scout outfield arms of opponents and things like that. And it's one of those things where by the time you have the knowledge to do it well, sometimes your legs have abandoned you and you become a power hitter or something like that. So I don't know. It's, I, I think it's difficult. It's probably like a sweet spot in terms of age and experience where um, you have the knowledge to be a good base runner while still also having speed to be a good base runner. And, uh, if you're a ball player, you definitely want to try and extend the life of that sweet spot by learning faster or, or slowing down slower, if that makes sense. Dan, I also want to, um, you, you said that you were thinking about a topic before you saw Darius's post. What were you thinking of uh, in relation to uh, StatCast and speed? Well, so... I was, this is one of those things where, you know, you write an article and then you're really proud of it. And then you look and you see that someone already did it and they already did it better. Um, so Darius did that. Uh, so, you know, gee, thanks Darius for how dare you write a good article, man. Uh, I'll, I'll never forgive you for that. So I wrote a, a stat cast article, which is yet to be published, which talks about, um, a lot less serious things that like, hey, we should be measuring this because uh, not for any other good reason except that we can. So, you know, I want to know like if StatCast can measure how slow a pitching coach can actually walk to the mound when there's a reliever warming up in the bullpen. 
Um, and if there's like a range in which, uh, like how slow can a pitching coach go without incurring the wrath of the umpire? Um, how quickly can umpires make decisions? Like, can they shave a hundredth of a second off their overall decision time? And there's like no real good reason for anyone to know these things, except that when StatCast was rolled out two years ago, they said, we're going to be able to measure everything that happens in a baseball field within a fraction of an inch. So I challenge you, StatCast people, go and do that and see if you can measure the speed with which an umpire, umpire dusts off home plate or the weird routes that players take when they're taking their positions from the dugout and if we can measure superstitions and things like that. So really nothing serious at all, but I mean, we're baseball fans. We like things that are completely not serious at all sometimes. So because it can be done, it must be done because we have to have it and we're small children when it comes to stupid statistics that have no value. <laughs> and, and where are the bat flip metrics? That's what I want to know. Ah, see, now you did it to me again. I should have put that in the article. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> For the record, this sounds much more interesting than my article. So read Dan's article when that comes out. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, before we move on, I want to do a quick draft of uh, players who we think are going to be traded before the trade deadline. Um, so there have already been some trades uh, in the last week or so. But there's still presumably about uh, seven and a half days of trade activity left. And uh, the object of the game here is to pick a player who will change teams between now and the deadline on the 31st. Um, let's see. To, to determine who goes first, um, you know what? Dan, you can go first. You are the newest guest. Darius goes second, and I will pick third. We will do, we will do uh, four rounds of players who we think will be traded before the July 31st trade deadline. Okay, well, with the first overall pick in the draft of whatever the name of it is, I'm going to select Brad Hand of the Padres. Uh, he has been mentioned for seemingly every team. I saw a post, I believe, on MLB, MLB Trade Rumors that more than half of the teams in baseball had checked in with the Padres about the availability. <laughs> that, was so, that was so ridiculous. I saw that too. That was... <laughs> now, I mean, we don't know what that means, like the definition of checking in on. Um, that could be like actually exchanging an offer or scouting each other's prospects or requesting medical. Or it could be, you know, like... Uh, text from one assistant GM to some other assistant GM saying, hey, so Brad Hand's pretty cool. Do you guys like him? Um, so I don't know. It could be anywhere in between. But uh, a lot of teams seem to have checked in on nebulously Brad Hand. So I'm going to select him with the first overall pick. Good choice. Who you got, Darius? Yeah, I kind of um, I was trying to weigh up the factors of relevance here. Um, and I'm kind of going to go with Yonder Alonso. I know he's a free agent at the end of the year, but I think in terms of rest of season impact, he might be the, the best bat who gets moved uh, before the deadline. The A's seem pretty keen to move him because obviously they're not going to have him beyond the end of the year unless they're actually going to pay someone some money for once. 
which seems unlikely. So uh, I think I really buy into the changes he's made this year, and I think uh, any contender would be pretty pleased to add a bat like his uh, based on how he's performed this year. So, yeah, I will pick, bizarrely, this is something I never thought I would say uh, at the start of this season, but Yonder Alonso. I think that's a good choice. Um, I am going to go with you, Darvish. It, he's in the last year of his deal, and Texas is not quite in the thick of things. And I think he's he's going to have a new home before the 31st. And I'm not sure who that's going to be, but I do think he will be the, the next big name starting pitcher moved. Before, before the next player on my list who might be taken before it comes back to me. Uh, now, that would be an interesting one because you Darvish is obviously awesome. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But like you said, he's a free agent coming up. So what? I'm always interested to see what exactly the return on a trade like that would be. You know? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, if contract was irrelevant and we still had the reserve clause, that would cost you several amazing prospects who are close to major league ready. So the fact that you'd only have him for two months and hopefully a playoff run for whoever gets him obviously mitigates a lot of that in return. So I don't know, like that's, that's always fascinating to me how many prospects and the quality thereof would go back in the other direction for a player of Darvish's caliber on a short deal. And honestly, even in the days, even in, uh, if you if you go back six years, I think back to when there was more significant free agent compensation for uh, for players, even ones who were traded at the deadline. Like I think I don't think the that his value would be mm, as low as it is. Um, not that it's low, because I think the Rangers will still get a a pretty decent con a pretty decent return, even for a for a, you know months of you darvish but it's not going to be it's it's probably less than what the what the tigers gave up for uh or less than the david price trade um but more than i don't know some middling starter it seems like people have been underwhelmed as well with the big trades that have happened so far like compared to i think everyone keeps comparing things to the chapman deal from last year yeah, and now everyone's like, "Well, no, the Tigers didn't get anything for JD Martinez, and I don't think people are that impressed in what the White Sox got for Robertson and Co." I don't know if the market has shifted or if this is just a ridiculously small sample size, and we are going to see a much more blockbuster prospect package going back for one of these guys. But it, it seems like things are quite different this year from that kind of deal that we got last year. Yeah, and it could it could just be that none of the teams that are stacked with prospects are willing to make a big addition the cubs were last season and i i think the the quintana package was was sizable uh, regardless of whether it's considered to be a quote unquote blockbuster but i think i mean eloy jimenez is probably the highest ranked prospect who's moving at this deadline yeah well, the quintana the other- one the other uh, issue is that you need, like, there's, there's only a handful of teams in baseball that could afford someone like Darvish, we think. Because, first of all, it would have to be a contending team, or why would you bother? And second of all, you would also have to have the prospects to get him. You know, for example, uh, there are several teams that, uh, I don't know, maybe the Nationals, um, 
who obviously they're a contender, but I don't know if they have the prospects remaining to go out and get someone like Darvish, even if they were interested. So, I mean, how many teams are there like that? Three or four, maybe, who would have the yeah. need and the, and the cachet to go get them? Yeah. All right, I'm going to go again. I will yeah. select Trevor Cahill of the Padres uh, because uh, I might just select all Padres because A.J. Preller <laughs> seems to trade everybody. Um, <laughs> trade Prellers. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, when, it, when it comes to trades and betting on Preller, uh, I think you know, Cahill, I guess, is this year's uh, Drew Pomerantz, you know, sort of a reclamation project as a pitcher who comes to San Diego and uh, becomes a good starting pitcher again after, you know, seeming that that was not likely to happen again in his career. And what do the Padres do with those kind of players? They trade them. So Tra- Trevor Cahill is my pick. Not bad. Ex-Cub, Trevor Cahill. Indeed. Darius, who you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to uh, select all A's. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with Sonny Gray on, on this one. Okay. Uh, I think there is a bit more uncertainty with him than some of the higher-end pitchers, but uh, he, he has kind of turned things around this year. Uh, I do think Billy Bean is going to pull the trigger on anything he can pull the trigger on uh, over the next week or so, uh, and uh, there seem to be a lot of teams who've been linked to Gray. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Sonny Gray with my second pick. Cool. I like that pick. He was on my list. Um, I am going to go with Pat Neshek for my next pick. Uh, the Phillies are bad, and Neshek is good this season. He was an all-star, and, uh, you know, there's there's always a market for a good reliever at the deadline, especially one on an expiring contract from a bad team. So Pat Neshek going to be pitching somewhere else before the end of the season. I think you're probably right about that one. That's a good pick. Um, I'm going to go with a player to be named later because a player to be named later <laughs> always gets traded. Um, I don't know if that's within the rules or not. But you didn't say. Uh, you know what? I, I didn't specify, so I'll allow it. Darius, are you going to pick cash? <laughs> cash, cash consideration. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll pick a real player. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Justin Wilson from the Tigers. Uh, he's really impressed me this season. Uh, he's kind of got the closer tag now, which I think uh, foolishly makes uh, teams a bit more likely to place value on these guys. Um, he's a, an excellent reliever uh, and he's a lefty as well. So um, I think much like Brad Hand, uh, there'll be pl- plenty of teams looking for a left-handed option to bolster their pen. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, the Tigers are going nowhere and uh, probably need to really restock their farm system. So I will take Justin Wilson. I think that's a good pick. Um, I am going to go with, for my next pick, I'm going to go with... Oh, wait, hold on. No, I think I'm changing my pick. Uh-oh. Um... No, I'm not changing my pick. I'm gonna go <laughs> with. I'm gonna go with Melky Cabrera. Yeah, I'm gonna go with my next pick. I'm gonna go with Melky Cabrera. I don't think the. I don't think the return is going to be significant, but I think a team will uh, will want to pick him up. I think the JD Martinez deal might have hurt his market, and I think there's a chance that he is a waiver 
trade candidate more so than a deadline trade candidate, but I do think he's going to get traded, and that's enough for me to take him here. All right, my final pick will be, um, he's not a Padre, uh, it's Eduardo Nunez, so we'll call him an honorary Padre. Uh, last year of his deal, he is slashing 299, 325, 409, um, which is about average production he's stealing bases he plays uh every infield position just not all that well um so he is a very the kind of guy who you could be looking for him if you're looking for someone at just about any position and he's cheap and he's not a long-term commitment so uh and the giants are not terribly great this year so i think that uh he's a good bet to go somewhere else it's very charitable of you to say that the Giants are not especially great. I would probably use harsher <laughs> words than that. <laughs> um, um, I try, I try yeah. to be nice. <laughs> yeah, probably better you try and be nice about the Giants than me after this season. Um, I'm going to go with another A for mine, so three out of four. Uh, and I'm taking Jed Lowry. Uh, I think they've got Franklin Barreto up now. Um, I don't think uh, you know Larry is part of their plans long term. He's when he's healthy, he's a pretty handy uh, major league player, and he's currently healthy or you know as close as Jed Larry gets. So I, I think uh, he'll be he'll be moved somewhere for people looking for infield help. And I don't know he's been linked to the Red Sox as well. So uh, yeah, I'll take Jed Larry. I was very tempted, and maybe Brandon's going to. Uh, pick this for his last one to, to pick Andrew McCutcheon but I'm not sure the Pirates know what they want to do with him or, or whether they can bear to part with him. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think of that. I I am not going to pick Andrew McCutcheon because I feel because the Padre or the Pirates just had a, a very good week and suddenly the Edel Central has tightened a bit more at the top. Um, the, the Pirates had a very good series against the Brewers so they ended up gaining a lot of ground. And they are not that far behind uh, as I pull up my, uh, hold on a sec, as I pull up my, uh, as I pull up my standings here, although if someone else has it uh, before me, let's see here. They are three games back right now of the Brewers in the division. So that's, that's too close, man. That's too close. You can't be trading Andrew McCutcheon if you're only three games out. Yeah, I hadn't really registered it was three games, which I probably should have done. So, yeah, that, that is a silly idea. Um, I'm taking Seth Smith with my last pick um, because someone will always add a lefty power-hitting bench guy. <laughs> at, presu- at probably low cost. <laughs> there you go. I, I guess everyone yeah. that missed out on J.D. Martinez, even though he's righty, but um, if you missed out on him... Seth Smith is a good second option, especially since the Pirates are not trading Andrew McCutcheon, according to Brandon. <laughs> um, I expect a player to be although, named Matt might get Seth Smith. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll both get points for uh, for player uh, Seth Smith for a player to be named later, or Cash. Or Cash is still on the board. Cash still on the board. Nobody took cash. Yeah, um, I, I thought about drafting Mike Trout just because we <laughs> never have any idea who's going to get traded. So I may as well just pick the most interesting um, person to be traded in baseball. So if that happened, that would be a lot of fun. It's probably not going to happen, but you know, we never know. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for thanks for that incredibly fun exercise. I will be keeping track, and uh, there a winner will be announced in in some fashion. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, effectively wild, and this is this is the first uh, banished to the pen pod in a little while, and so I want to throw it out there to get your guys's thoughts on the on the new setup with Jeff Sullivan and what what do you think of the the new effectively wild effectively wild 2017 post episode number 1000 of uh Ben and Jeff now that we have half a baseball season under their belts well i think uh obviously it's been a seamless a transition as it can get. I mean, Jeff has been uh, amazing. I mean, he's, he's, I, I love his uh, style of conversation and he has a rapport with Ben that just um, picked up right where he left off with Sam in the way that they're just very comfortable talking to each other. And, and that makes for a good entertainment and that's really difficult to do. And you sort of just have to learn that um, on the fly, but they, they didn't have any learning curve for how to do that. Maybe because they're both, experienced podcasters but uh that it, it just happened very seamlessly right away yeah I, I agree with dan i mean my thoughts and i think i said this to some of you guys on uh, facebook was that it you know couldn't really have gone any better as a transition i was obviously uh really disappointed to see sam leave but as a replacement i don't think i could have asked for anything more and it is different uh you know jeff's not the same as sam and we haven't had those uh morbid <laughs> interludes that we love so much but i think he's brought something different and, and the <laughs> chemistry is still great with ben so i don't feel like they've really missed a step yeah i definitely i definitely agree with that and um in the interest of updating the effectively wild essential works that uh, is frequently linked to in the Effectively Wild Facebook group, but hasn't been updated since last October. Um, do you have any new era Effectively Wild episodes that you would add to the Essential Works list? Yeah, I've got uh, a few here, and um, the most recent one that, that came to mind was the uh, the Indie Ball uh, is beautiful uh, chat with them. Um, the writer who covered the uh, that crazy game with the the pitcher coming out to throw with his left hand when he's a right-handed pitcher, and go back and listen to the episode. It's <laughs> one thousand eighty-five. Um, but I I particularly enjoyed that Jeff moment where he uh, went off on a um, sort of little rabbit hole of his own, finding out about uh, their manager J D Drody, who is like a Harvard Law graduate and uh, he's got a PhD, and he's just had this absolutely uh, wonderfully um, eclectic career that has nothing to do with baseball. And now he's managing this indie league team, and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, Jeff's discovery of him. So that was one of my picks. Um, I think uh, the bat boning episode was a real highlight. Ten fifty nine. Oh, that was that was <laughs> so bat boned, um, and just listening to both of them try and talk about bat boning without actually breaking out in laughter was great. Uh, and then my other two were with Grant uh, coming on uh, one thousand and forty nine to talk about um, you know throwing baseballs at people. Um, which was fun, and I love Grant, uh, and I think he's great with Jeff and uh, Ben as well. And um, then his uh, one of his very early ones, 1012, uh, rating the rankings, which featured his first anti-trampoline rant, and uh, I was a big fan, <laughs> big fan of that. And that's obviously become quite the meme in the Facebook group as well. So those those are kind of my um, four contenders, I think, for anything we should put on the uh, essential works. 
those, those are great choices. Those are great choices. If I could throw two on there, um, they would be 1026, which is a, which is a listener email episode. Um, the topic here was, um, well, I think this is, this is more like a quintessential Jeff episode, um, in the sense that they have, well, one, it's long, it's an hour. Um, Actually, that's not so long, considering that some of the new episodes have gone up to like an hour and a half. Um, but uh, the, this one is the one where they're talking about uh, Luis Robert and how he is, how an, a scout called him the best player on the planet. Um, and Jeff trying to process that out loud. And the other one is 1023, Mike Trout, but backward. Um that where they talked about how uh, <laughs> it was an email about how Mike Trout would perform if he had to run backwards at all times. <laughs> I have, uh, you're going to have to forgive me because I don't have the numbers, but um, one of my favorite ones was it was a listener email about what would happen if a guy just randomly out of nowhere hit a home run off of literally every single pitch he saw, how long would it take him to reach the major leagues? And Jeff just went into like a lot of detail about this, which I would never have thought possible. I was thinking like, if I had to answer that question, be like, I don't know, you might never get noticed or something. People just wouldn't care. But then like Jeff took it step by step from like, having, you know, just batting practice in his backyard with a friend to getting noticed, to becoming a local news story, to getting signed and, and so on. Uh, so I, I thought that was really good quintessential Jeff to just analyze something all the way through like that. Um, the other one, uh, which I think is, is belongs in the, the essential works, is when they went from bantering about, hey, there's an eclipse happening right over a baseball stadium to turning it into an actual event for the fans. Um, and that happened in the space of about 10 minutes. So that was just a really cool impromptu thing. That's uh, that's awesome. Are you going to make it out to Eclipse Fest, Dan? Ah, I wish I could. I wish I could. But I, I looked at it, and uh, it's just its not going to work with my schedule. It's not going to work with uh, a lot of other things. But I will be there that's for in sure. spirit. Um, not looking at the sun directly. <laughs> are you going up to Are you going up to the Bell House for the live taping? No, I can't make that either. Unfortunately, I like I, I should be because I mean, why would I not? But you know, life happens. Well, those and no, of course, myself for you that. have you have children, and um, also you know you'll you'll listen to the episode just like the rest of us. Exactly. I mean, Darius actually has a good excuse for not going to these things, being on a different <laughs> continent. But uh, I, I just, you know, I'm lame. I don't go out. So. Although Darius, Darius is coming to the country, and we are, uh, we will be going to a couple of baseball games together in, uh, in uh, what, little over a month now. Yeah, I guess it's like very cool. Five, six weeks. Six weeks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We'll be doing the we'll be doing the uh, crosstown we'll be doing a crosstown doubleheader. It's Cubs versus Brewers and then Sox versus Giants on the same day. It'll be fun. Wow, that's awesome. 
I will also um, not be attending that. So we can just do a whole segment of, of things that I wish I would go to, but, but do don't. this recurring. What, what is Dan not attending? Yeah. <laughs> what is Dan not doing? Yeah. A recurring segment of everyone's life is more exciting. So there we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, well, we're going to wrap it up here. I wanted to do one quick go round. What is a baseball article, story, book, anything that you have been reading lately and want to recommend? Well, I forget the exact name of the article. I probably shouldn't do that. Sam Miller, um, who we remember well, wrote a very cool article about how home run highlights are not a lot of fun to watch. And uh, as with a lot of things, like Sam Millard points out things that should be obvious to all of us. Like, I mean, we're watching a highlight where half the time the camera is not even on the field and you can't see the ball and you're just watching fans celebrate something that you can't see. And that's the kind of thing that, like, why didn't we all just think of that? And then Sam notices and then we all feel um, less intelligent by comparison, or at least I do. But, you know, great work, Sam, always as usual. Yeah, I'm always jealous of Sam's ability to to do that. You think, oh yeah, that is a you know very true thing that should be easy to notice, but for some reason it takes him telling us to actually make us think that. So I guess that means it isn't obvious. But uh, yeah, he's he's wonderful at doing that. Um, I've got a, a piece, and I full disclosure, I I do write occasionally for BP Wrigleyville, but this is not one of my pieces. Before anyone thinks I'm about to plug my own work. Um, Mary Craig, or Craig, I guess is probably how you should say it in American. Um, she wrote a piece uh, about a riot that happened at Wrigley Field in, in August 1948, which sort of immediately followed a, a kind of Cold War-esque uh, standoff um, based around the House Un-American Activities Committee um, and uh, <laughs> a, a Soviet spy. And go read the article, because I won't try and explain the whole background. It's very complicated. But uh, yeah, Mary gives a wonderful account of the uh, the game and how the riot ensued and and she's really good at this i love this kind of baseball writing that it gives you a a great insight into kind of history and social issues and politics and she does a lot of these at wrigleyville so uh, if you're into baseball history and um, you kind of want to hear about a few unknown stories that uh, probably aren't all that familiar to most people then uh, yeah definitely check out mary's work because she's very very good at it yeah definitely i want to echo that mary is a a great writer and the one piece that i would recommend of hers uh, of the many, there are there are many that are worthwhile. Um, there was one about um, post-war Japanese Americans settling in Chicago and how baseball uh, impacted those families who settled on the north side. Um, a, a great story. There's there's a lot to be told there. In part because my family was one of those families who settled. Uh, one of the Japanese American families who settled in Chicago after internment camps. And uh, the, the story is great and uh, I would definitely recommend it. So definitely check out Mary. My, that is not my recommendation for this article for uh, today, although uh, perhaps, perhaps it could be. I do want to recommend the uh, article on uh, Jaco- from Jacobin Magazine called Out of Left Field by Peter Dreyer and Robert uh, Elias. And it's uh, it's basically about baseball activism over time, how play, how players have challenged structures and um, and policies, whether it's, uh, it's segregation, whether it's the reserve clause, whether it's 
larger political or uh, being a part of the larger political climate and conversation. It's um, it's it's really one. It's it's great to see a a recounting of some of the historical figures who I knew a little bit about, but also learning about some of the uh, kind of global activism by some of the Latino players in uh, recent years, particularly Carlos Delgado's, um, and uh, uh, also, you know, singling out some of the players who have spoken out about issues a little more recently um, that... Uh, sometimes I think of baseball as the sport where uh, people are, where the players are being less vocal um, than some of the others. I mean, obviously in the NFL, Alan Kaepernick is uh, is the big player who is speaking out on issues right now. But you see it a lot happening in the NBA as well with uh, with LeBron James as the biggest player in the sport also being uh, one of the most vocal. So um, seeing this recounting of baseball history and also uh, showing what some of the contemporary players are doing, I think it's a, I think it's a great article and uh, something that uh, something that players should read, honestly, <laughs> looking at uh, the history of activism in baseball. I agree with that statement. Cool. All right. So let's uh, let's let's wrap it up here. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? They can tweet me at depstein1983, and they can read my work at Banished to the Pen, and that's about it. Cool, Darius. Where can they? Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DariusA64. Uh, you can also find me at Banished to the Pen and BP Wrigleyville, as previously mentioned. Uh, I also write about uh, fantasy stuff at Friends with Fantasy Benefits and Fantasy Pros. Uh, and if you're interested in what it's like being a British baseball fan and the kind of weird things we think about, uh, then I also uh, write and podcast for uh, a site called Batflips and Nerds, which is basically uh, a bunch of British guys um, yeah, following the game from across the pond. So if you're interested in uh, what we get up to in our baseball fandom, then uh, I would recommend that the the bad flips and nerds recap of the um all-star weekend event kind of thing with cliff floyd was super great and i definitely recommend checking that one out yeah it was it was quite surreal <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. uh we'll, li- we'll link to it in the post as well so uh you can see it as well um and uh, I'm Brandon Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at Blee Internets. Catch me at Banish to the Pen every now and then. Follow Banish to the Pen on Twitter at Banished to Pen. Read the latest articles at BanishedToThePen.com. And hopefully we'll be doing these podcasts a little more often. So we hope to be back in your feed soon. Cheers, everyone. And remember to be good to each other. <laughs>